Hello, thanks for listening to the podcast. Just a quick note before we get started. We recorded this episode before MGM Universal released the news that they are further delaying James Bond. Cheers, guys. I'm sure we'll get into that the next time we get together. But for now, I hope you enjoy the episode. Kiss you on the mouth, Kenny Rogers. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Not sure what I was thinking about there. I'm Ben Hammond, and if niche film quotes such as that is your thing, this could very well be the podcast for you, as we spend the next hour geeking out about all things big and little screen, as well as all things cinema and film industry. Hello, friends, and the warmest of welcomes to our brand new podcast. If you listened and subscribed to our previous pod, you'll have a pretty good idea of what to expect over the next hour. And if this is your first time joining us, thank you for pressing that play button. Stick with us to the credits. I'm sure it'll be totally worth it. I, of course, couldn't steer the ship all by myself. I've got two incredible co-hosts in the shape of Paul Breen and Ben Mercer. There are some things you do need to know about us if this is your first listen. I have only seen the first two Star Wars films and I have not seen any Game of Thrones. Mercer hasn't seen any Rocky films and he loves Piers Brosnan. And Paul tends not to give us any succinct answers, rather rattles off lists. And he also picks horrible films. And his rap sheet includes The Wandering Earth and The New Mutants, which we still haven't forgiven him for. Um... Believable. <laughs> so I guess a personal intro and a little blurb, guys, for all about yourself. I don't understand why you asked us to write our own intros, Ben, because you've just you've nailed it. What can I possibly <laughs> add to that? What about the good films that I put in front of you? It doesn't matter. Your terrible choices far outweigh the good ones. You're only as good as your last bad pick, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and that was New Mutants. I'm Paul. Uh, I'm the oldest person in the podcast, so expect references from films that were made before either of the Bens were born. Also, as mentioned, expect lists. Much to the annoyance of the oh. other two. I find it almost impossible to narrow things down to a single entry. And just a warning that this podcast is potentially sweary as we freely and passionately discuss film. So as John Cleese was the first to say this at Graham Chapman's eulogy, let me be the first on this podcast to say the word fuck. (laughs) It gets it it out of the way and we can all move on. Oh, for such a relief. (laughs) My name's Ben. I am a self-proclaimed Star Wars fanatic and a prequel apologist. I think that's the official term. For that, for that set of people. <laughs> what can I say about me? I mean, I can't really add on what you've already said, Hammond. So I'm, I'm not going to go on at length. I'm going to stop talking now. That is unbelievably unusual for you, Mercer. You, you normally do go on at length when you get into your ranty stage. Well, we haven't talked about Tenet yet, but there's still time. That film still <laughs> makes no fucking sense. Let him get into his stride. Oh, and I still haven't seen Tenet. <laughs> oh, for God's sakes, Hammond, wow. watch it, please, so we can so we can all talk about it. <laughs> we will do a whole hour on Tenet after you watched it. I think we should. <laughs> I want to talk about the end. I want to see if you actually understood it, basically. Then maybe you'll agree with my diatribes. I will try and get it watched. Between now and the next podcast, I will definitely, definitely try. It's only the film that's single-handedly saving cinema at the moment, Hammond. I think you owe it to Nolan to watch. I think you'll find Sir David Attenborough is the man that's saving cinema at the moment. And the planet. <laughs> and the planet. <laughs> All I have for you is a word. What'd you say? What's that? So, great. Onwards then with what will be our regular show starter. And it's a feature we call Big Picks from the Small Screen. And it's a little rundown of things that we've watched between podcast to podcast outside of the cinema. So before I commence fully with this little section, when I said I haven't watched Game of Thrones, I have downloaded Season 1, Episode 1. 
and I've watched about the first 15 minutes. So I'm, I'm there, right? I've seen some stuff. There was snow. Some dude got stabbed with a sword. There was bodies on the ground. feel like I'm fully up to speed with Game of Thrones. That's pretty much it. Excellent. Good. No, there's a lot more to come, but then just avoid the last four episodes of the final season. Well, one of my very good friends, Chris Powell, did say he was stunned on the last series of podcasts when I announced I hadn't seen Game of Thrones. He pretty much sent me a, a series of WhatsApps and but there's boobs. But what about the boobs, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> you like boobs? <laughs> it's like, don't worry about the dragons. There's boobs. <laughs> dragons and boobs, that's all you need to know. That's basically Game of Thrones remit. So you've seen the first, like, what, 15 minutes? About the first 15 minutes, yeah. You have now witnessed one of the best TV theme songs of all time, surely. The, that intro is insane. Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage, <laughs> Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage. I'm, I'm going to say yes. I was paying full attention. To, to that oh mate come on outside of that i've watched a tv show it's a comedy central production but it's on netflix at the moment called workaholics and this is really funny it's about three lads in the early 20s american guys that live together work together they're essentially burnouts drink a lot take a lot of drugs get up to all sorts of japes and whatever else and it's genuinely very very funny so workaholics on netflix as a tv watch if you're after a series each episode is 20, 22 minutes. It's obviously it's been cut down without the adverts to get onto Netflix. Mm. That's very, very funny indeed, Workholics. And then I've only seen one other film outside of the two things we're reviewing, and that is The Gentleman, Guy Rich's offering from 2018. Great film. All right. I haven't seen it yet. How is it? It's exceptional. So essentially what it is, it's Guy Ritchie has taken all the best bits from Guy Ritchie films and put them just in this one film. He's almost asking for forgiveness for Aladdin. And he's like, well, here's the gentleman. This is this is what I am pretty good at. Don't worry about Aladdin. This is what I do best. <laughs> and it's genuinely very, very good. Hugh Grant absolutely steals the yeah, show. He's great. Um, every scene is in. Charlie Hunnam is incredible in this film. Colin Farrell has, it's a bit longer than a cameo, but when he's in it, he is absolutely brilliant. I thoroughly recommend The Gentleman, uh, currently streaming on Amazon Prime. It's on my watch list. Yeah, it's great. I went in there with absolutely minimal mm. expectation for that film. And you, you're right, it's essentially just a best of Guy Ritchie. Yeah. It's really well put together, very slick. So uh, this week, I haven't had a huge amount of time to watch anything, but uh, continuing with uh, The Boys Season 2. Nice. It's so good. On Amazon Prime. It's a great show. It's such a good show. The graphic novels are amazing. And I think the TV show obviously is going to branch off and try and do something slightly different with the story. But it's doing a great job of keeping the essence of the show. Loving every second of it. It's a great, great show. I ended up binging the entire three seasons of Black Books. Again, it's on Netflix at the moment. That's so random. I'm watching that as well. Oh, wow. It came on to Netflix and it was just an even. I thought I'll chuck on a couple of episodes. No, never going to happen. So I've ended up binging all three. It's just genius. It's a fantastic show. And I finally, in terms of films, I finally got around to seeing Memories of Murder. Oh, amazing. What a what film. What a film. What a film. Absolutely superb. I did more research afterwards to find out more about the serial killer and the fact that he ultimately owned up and you know handed himself in, in effect, with regard to those murders once he'd been arrested for something else. It's an incredible film. The performances are astonishing mm. in that movie and it's so beautifully shot it's a fantastic movie if you haven't seen it really recommend it easily one of my top three it will always be in my top three korean films it is gripping absolutely gripping from start to finish is it quite grim it's i think you'd be okay with it because there's no glorified violence yeah yeah it's quite it's an intense watch performance wise and story wise but it's not obscene and it's not graphic so i think you'll, you'll definitely be okay with it i mean i'm watching the boys at the moment and the sperm well <laughs> in that should i ruin it i'm not going to ruin it there's a bit with a sperm well and it's just it's so funny 
but so horrifying and grim. Yeah, it's brilliant. Right, so this week I watched La Haine uh, in the cinema. Oh, the 4K film. restoration nice. is incredible. It looks like it was shot yesterday. So if you haven't had a chance to catch up with it, please, please do. It should be a harder watch than it is, considering its subject matter. But the characters are so lovable. I think lovable is the right word. Yeah, lovable, that you're taken along with it. And in terms of just sort of capturing Paris at that time, 95, just getting it all on the camera, it's absolutely incredible. I also, for the first time ever, watched Michael Mann's Heat. Never seen that film. Wow, you've never seen it before? Yeah. Wow. I, I don't know why. It's incredible. It's so good. Just the way that Michael Mann shoots L.A., iconic sort of LA skyline to then go into sort of the narrow streets and to follow the narrative. Al Pacino is mental. He's just chewing up the scenery, but it absolutely <laughs> mm-hmm. works. He's got a great ass. That whole bit is just <laughs> insane. So yeah, great, great film. That gunfight in that film is exceptional. The sound on that, particularly when it was in the cinemas, they've completed the heist and they're, they're trying to get mm. away. It's a real military operation and just so well choreographed so tense. and so well shot. And the sound design mm, on that yeah. is incredible. Yeah. It would be lovely for it to come back onto the cinema again because the, the sound in the cinema is, in, is insane. I would 100%. Yeah, that would be amazing. I think I watched it on Amazon Prime. It was it was okay, but it could really do with you know a fresh transfer. All those HD fans out there. 2015's Mad Max Fury Road. I hadn't seen it in a while, so I watched that because the world feels like it's kind of heading that way anyway. And I just wanted to be prepared to take some notes, maybe. If I've got a giant flaming guitar, that seems to be the way to go when the apocalypse comes. What can I say about this film that hasn't already been said? It is an astounding calling card to to just action high octane action cinema the stunt work in this film it's it's unparalleled everything feels so gritty don't get me wrong there is obviously a huge amounts of cgi used in the film but they have these giant cars and they went out to the desert and miller was out there he shot everything and it's just so visceral. You can almost feel the, the heat coming off the screen with these massive explosions. Yeah, I assume you guys have seen this film. Yeah, yeah. As I say, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to survive an apocalypse, I want to do it with Charlize Theron. <laughs> <laughs> My issue's always been, I think, uh, particularly with Fury Road, is I'm a bit of a germaphobe, and they all look so dirty in Mad Max, and it, it's always bothered me. And I get that it's post-apocalypse, and they're in a the desert. It's the apocalypse. Yeah. They, they, they all seem a little bit grubby to me. And I love the films, but I always come out, I always come out feeling a little. Bit scruffy and I don't like they it. They seem a bit <laughs> grubby. The apocalypse doesn't end up in the Hilton. You <laughs> well, and you know what? <laughs> Whose fault is this? Forest. <laughs> I love the films. To be fair, it's testament to just how well they're shot. They're so gritty. Ben's right. All the close-ups and everything else, but it's just just makes me feel a bit scruffy. That's all. And they probably ran out of hand vac gel a long time ago, mate. Well, that won't be anything now, will it? I mean, the next apocalypse, we're all running straight to hand sanitizer factories, aren't we? That we're going to set up camp. <laughs> I'd love that if it was on the poster, if one of one of the critics' uh, reviews was yours. It just made me feel a bit grumpy. Make me want to go home and shower. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> Our next section then is over to Mercer for a UK box office rundown. So I've got the UK box office figures from last weekend. So number one, we've got Tenet coming in. So that's made about 13, 13, 14 million so far in the UK globally. We'll come to that in a second. Then in second place is After We Collided, which is the surprise young adult hit, which nobody saw coming. Mm. You absolutely chomped this up and mm. did really well for market share on that film. And then in third place is Bill and Ted Face Music, which we're going to talk about later on. So Tenet Worldwide is now sitting at $284 million, let's say $285 million. The reported budget 
was 205 million. Generally speaking, films need to make double the production budget in order to be, well, just to break, break even basically due to sort of marketing, print costs and all that stuff that goes into releasing a film. And obviously cinemas take their share. Some people are reporting that it's broken even, but obviously it hasn't. It's still got a long way to go. I guess that kind of ties us in nicely to talking about was Warner's right to release Tenet worldwide right now? Lots of people are saying that this is a failure, but I think in my eyes, like it's done really well considering, yeah, there's a, there's a global pandemic and what were people expecting? And, you know, Disney have looked at these figures and they've gone, do you know what? Mm. We're not going to release any films this year. We're just going to push everything back to next year. So yeah, do you, what do you think? Do you think Warner's made the right call with this? Obviously speaking as three cinema managers, yes, because we need people to come into our cinema. And in the UK, it has done really well. Yeah, There needed to be a film of that calibre coming out to try and instill confidence in people to come back to the cinema. They've got to want to come back in to see something. I mean, that's that's all, regardless of pandemic or not, there's got to be an interest in a film for customers to come in. And we need people coming through the doors. And once we've got them in, they can see how safe that the cinema's environment is in this current environment we live in. Word of mouth gets out. Oh, actually, I felt really comfortable, really relaxed. Everything was safe. That breeds more people coming in. Word of mouth is the way that this is going to happen. We can tell people till we're blue in the face that it's a safe environment to come to. Until those people come in and start telling their friends, they're not going to believe it. But you've got to have the films in there to get those customers through the doors in the first place. And Tenet did that. And to credit Christopher Nolan, he insisted it came out of the cinema. Uh, He wasn't taking any prisoners Mm. with this. His films need to be seen on a big screen. Tenet definitely needs to see it seen on a big screen. Confusing as that film is, it needs to be seen on a big screen. And that's the right place for it. And Disney, you needed to learn that. Mulan should have been seen on the big screen. It was an absolute disaster putting it onto the Disney Plus format. As we all know, huge echoing silence in terms of the figures that you were expecting them to put out about how many rentals they had etc i think that speaks volumes that they didn't and obviously now they've committed to theatrical release going forward so it was obviously definitely a disaster for them warners have done the right thing in putting the film out and fair play Kristen nolan you're a star yeah i mean something had to go first was tenet the right film to open up the cinema doors and get people flooding in probably not but a big screen big budget action movie for me it was nailed on i mean that was a great film to get the cinemas back open and to get people out christopher nolan's least accessible film wasn't going to drive huge audiences in but it got enough people in to actually think well i've missed this i've missed cinema i've missed seeing this kind of action on the big screen the sound the theatrics everything that goes with it yes disney absolutely rightly got the lesson they deserved if you put something like mulan straight into people's living rooms the world and its dog are going to rip that off and put it it was illegally downloaded more times than it was sold. Do you think that's why it hasn't succeeded? So yeah, you're absolutely right. They've been very cagey about the numbers. I mean, Yahoo News reported very early yeah. on that it made something like 269 million based on the 29% of the US Disney Plus subscribers that they had that Disney revealed on their last earnings call. Mm. But Forbes published something late last week, which basically said, actually, it's probably more like 80 to 90 million that it's made. Uh, it's been released in China because uh, the cinemas are open in China. It's only made $36 million there. And Chinese box office doesn't give a lot of money back to the studios, uh, less so than the UK and and America territories. So, yeah, I think you're right. If they'd had done well with it, they'd be going, hey, like, this works. Of course. So do you think that's why it isn't successful, because people are pirating it? Or do you think it's the delivery method? Because for me, I find that very confusing. I think it's a bit of both. I think the delivery mechanism for the film is very clunky. I don't think it's made clear at all if you're a Disney Plus subscriber. I think the British public aren't necessarily okay with paying for a streaming service 
and then paying a premium for a film that yeah. is released on mm. that streaming service. Knowing that it's going to be free in three months. Yeah, mentally. Yeah, you're paying Disney X amount a month. By the way, here's a Disney film, and we want another 20 quid for it if you want to watch it on its release date. It just feels a little bit too much like exploiting what they're attempting to do. And it, it doesn't feel, it doesn't sit comfortably with me, that mechanism of premium video on demand. It's either video on demand yeah. or it's cinema. or it's And if they were that confident, you know, there's people out there talking about video on demand doesn't affect cinema, cinema doesn't affect cinema on demand. So do you know what? Take a pump with Mulan, release both day and day at the same time in the cinemas on video on one and see what happens. It's very interesting with the critics' reviews. Every single critic was saying, it's okay, but you lose everything with it not being on the big screen. Absolutely. The problem with day and date release of that is obviously major chains like AMC and Cine World, they won't show it. If it's if it's available online, no, of course not. Yeah, they won't show it in the cinema. Yeah. Which I do think is a shame. I don't mm. think there is one rule fits all. Yeah, I think day and date release for Mulan would have been great, but then no one would have actually shown it in the cinemas apart from maybe Curzon and Everyman. Do you think going forward? Budgeting is going to be looked at more tightly with regard to making film. The reason films aren't coming out is because they've got such astronomical budgets. They've got to make back an inordinate amount of money to break even, let alone anything else. And whether that will ultimately be reflected in budgets for films going forward, but it's particularly if, if the pandemic continues for an extended period of time. I mean, obviously, with technologies, it is. We'll probably see CGI playing a much, much bigger role as we as we go forward. You know, if you haven't got to pay an enormous amount of cast and crew to, to do what they do, and you can rely on, you know, a few people sitting in the computer lab and, and working on a lot of things. And I think that's a way to cut. But I hope we don't. I hope that they stay where we are. I think cinema is years off recovery. I think things aren't going to be normal or back to where they were for, for a long time. I've got everything crossed that James Bond stays where James Bond is currently sitting. Is it November 12th? Yeah. yeah. Because for me, I think that will be the first domino. I think once James Bond is out, is generating that box office revenue, then things will have to follow it. Things like Death on an R, Wonder Woman, Black Widow, all the things that have slid. I think James Bond has universal appeal. Yeah. Universal paid insane amounts of money to get the rights to, because they were up for tenure, um, I think like last year or the year before, and... Eon Productions were were released through Sony. Sony uh, lost out on the race, and Universal have, have paid top dollar for this, and they're going to want to see a massive return on their investment. And I just don't see them doing it with with the US being being where it is, and also with you know the current rates rising in Europe. I, I just I don't see it happening, which is gutting, but I, I I really don't. They've invested a lot of money in marketing though for that date in November. I mean, they've reissued all reissued all the posters, the the new trailer. Uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of money in marketing being put out there for a release in November. I mean, of course, it could change. Things can change. You know, we, tomorrow we could hear that it's moved. But to invest more money at this relatively late stage in that level of marketing, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic that it's going to stick with the date. <laughs> and it will benefit from, you know, what Tenet is currently benefiting from. Yeah. You know, it, it's released against nothing. It will be in the cinemas for weeks before anything else is released against it. So it will have a pretty a pretty solo run in order to mop up whatever whatever money is out there for, for the box office paying public to come and see it. So it will have longevity. It will probably run into the Christmas holidays quite likely. So let's let's see. Let's keep everything crossed. Let's all go to the lobby. lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. So moving on into our films in review for episode one, picked by moi. <laughs> um, Bill and Ted, Face to Music in Cinemas and The Ballad of Buster Scruggs on Netflix. Seen them both, loved them both. Let's talk about 
both. Where should we start? Let's start with uh, after the really cynical conversation we're having about release schedules. Let's start with this piece of pure joy that is Bill and Ted Face the Music. When your wives suggested couples therapy, do you think that this is what they had in mind? Definitely. I mean, we're a couple of couples, right? So Bill and Ted. So in this film, it's the third in the Bill and Ted series following 89's Excellent Adventure and 91's Bogus Journey. We find Bill and Ted in current day California where the ruler of the future tells the best friends they must compose a new song to save life as we know it. But instead of writing it, they decide to travel through time and steal it from their older selves. Meanwhile, their young daughters devise their own musical scheme to help their fathers bring harmony to the universe. What are your guys' thoughts on this? Well, I just wrapped myself in a blanket of nostalgia. Great hour and a half spent. <laughs> just It just took me back to, to the other two films. It, it kept that vibe from those original films was still there. It's not perfect as a film by any stretch of the imagination. I hated the daughters. I thought they were really annoying. But Bill and Ted, I know, I see the expressions on your face. <laughs> I did, they, they didn't work for me at all. <laughs> But just seeing Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves as those characters again, very obviously loving every second of spending time together and yeah. being with these characters again. Death, being yeah. being back again was wonderful. And it may be strangely emotional. Certainly towards the end with the song, it just it was just a real sense of joy uh, having watched the film. But, uh, but it, it, it has its problems for me. Mm. Mainly the mainly the daughters. I was hoping for brilliant, and that's what I got. This film didn't disappoint. I smiled all the way through this film. It made me feel so so happy. Death, brilliant as always. What a character he is! Uh, if it isn't a wild stallion, have you come to sue me again? Yeah. <laughs> and the remorseful death robot made the film for me. Dennis, 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 the death robot. Every scene he was in, and when when they introduce Dennis, you think. Oh, okay. There's there's a level of they're going to try and he's going to interfere, but mm. they they take all of that dread out so so quickly, so quickly. It's it's yeah. yeah. It, it, this film's got its PG rating for a very good reason. It's nothing more than a PG, and that's what it is. It's it's family friendly. It's nostalgia driven for seventies and eighties kids, maybe nineties kids that grew up watching the, the first two Bill and Ted's. This is the film for you. Uh, I sat next to my wife in the cinema and watched this, and I can honestly say she probably hated 88 out of the 90 minutes. But <laughs> oh, yeah, right. she hasn't seen the original two films, so she a lot of the jokes, particularly with like death and a lot of the and the shoutbacks and stuff, were great. Uh, I was really happy to see Rufus. Yeah, um, yes. great reference. All in hologram yeah, form. Exactly. Yeah. That that really pleased me to see Rufus appear in this film. So yeah, yeah, lots lots to be happy about in this film. It was just a big bundle of joy for me. What do what do you think? Ben? I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. It was really nice to see the late great George Carlin um, sort of immortalized with that hologram. It was a really nice touch. Yeah, mm. I mean, this was announced what a couple of years ago. In fact, this is probably this has been gestating now probably for twenty plus years. The sequel, I had absolutely no interest in watching a better Ted sequel thirty years after the fact. But my God. 2020 yeah. it needs a film like this it needs something that's just so unashamedly joyous just so optimistic so much fun i mean goodwill only gets you so far but everyone was everyone coming into this had such good intentions and it absolutely delivers it's so much fun it's really sad that you know it is being released during a pandemic and it so far has only made 4.5 million worldwide it's like 
that's not a lot of money. And it's a shame because yeah. I think people people need to see this <laughs> so they can all join in with the song yeah, at the end. Right. Yeah. And we'll, you know, we'll we'll probably defeat yeah. this virus. Um yeah, it's great. It's a, it's a shame you didn't like the, the daughters, Paul, because I thought they were uh, I thought they were pretty good. Dude, our dads are totally in trouble. I feel so bad for them. They've been doing this on their own for the longest time. Yeah, I wish there was some way we could help them out, you know? Just found them irritating. Uh, I mean, I think one of them does a better job than the other. I think the the daughter, Bridget uh, Ludie Payne, playing Bill's, no, Ted's daughter, is less successful than Fia, especially like her walk is a bit annoying. But I, I mean, they're essentially the Bill and Ted of the sort of the next generation. I know that kind of concept is a bit lame, but I thought they did a quite a good job with it. I think I think you're right. One one did a better job than the other. I think the yeah the dark haired Ted's daughter tried to emulate the mannerisms too much. It was like her hand gestures and things were a bit overblown. Yeah. Um, to think, but to me that was just a great throwback to the original films where Keanu Reeves was that overblown and that gesticulated. It was it was great. Yeah. How dare you, Breen? Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you're wrong, mate. I don't think it's as adventurous as 1991's uh, Bogus Journey. That film is messed up no. if you go back and watch it. Uh, but it's great. It's just, mm-hmm. it's a sort of, a, it's a, a greatest hits and made with so much joy. I don't think the original Bill and Ted is really like a laugh out loud uh, film for me. Like it was always just like really charming. Wayne's World or Wayne's World 2, like those are the things that really sort of make me, made me laugh. But uh, I think this sequel is maybe slightly funnier than the original film. I loved Dennis. We've mentioned it already. I'm really sorry that I lasered you all. And I just need to tell you my name. My name is Dennis Caleb McCoy. William Sadler as death is incredible. The the solo album jokes in this film were incredible. (laughs) Really made me laugh. Great, great fun, funny film. Lovely. Dodgy CGI in it. Some of the plot elements are, are very have been done before, as you guys alluded to. But yeah, it's just it's just great. Yeah, in the question of you know who would play you in the story of your life on screen, I think my answer's now changed. I think Dennis, <laughs> the death robot or the remorse robot, is is me in real life. That's it. <laughs> just awkward, makes mistakes, accidentally kills somebody, apologizes for he, it. He is <laughs> he is so good. It's the the guy who plays him is uh, Anthony Carrigan, who's really good in Barry. I don't know if you've seen Barry. It's a TV series that's on now TV slash Sky. Yeah, it's good. Fantastic. So almost a universal thumbs up for Bill and Ted Face the Music if we remove the daughters for, for Breen the misogynist. The um, film is enough to joy. They are an irritant. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, okay, then moving on to my second pick then, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. People are so easily distracted. So, I'm the distractor with a little story. People can't get enough of them because, well, they connect the stories to themselves, I suppose. So, this is the 2018 offering from the Coen brothers on Netflix, which tells six tales from the Old West. Uh, We see a gunslinger, a bank robber, an elderly prospector, and more very interesting characters split across the six vignettes that are brought together to make this film in almost a storybook fashion. Firstly, for me, for reasons unknown to me, when it came to the old prospector scene, I could only see you, Bring. <laughs> oh, cheers. If you, if, you, if you ever get the chance to play an old prospector, jump at it. It's the role you were born for. <laughs> it gets shot. Spoiler alert. Hold on, mate. Christ. <laughs> That's a compliment. Hammond's basically saying you, you equal the great Tom Waits, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd say I have no issue with that whatsoever. There we go. Uh, so what do you guys think of this then? So I watched this when it first came out and loved it at the time. So it was a 
pleasure to go back and rewatch it. It hasn't lost any of its luster from the first time I watched it. There's not a bad vignette in the entire thing. I think for me, the last vignette is the weakest. I tell you, it's, it's difficult to choose. So I think Meal Ticket, which was the Liam Neeson, mm. was great. The guy that plays the entertainment, does all the speeches, doing some research. He's the Dursley kid. Yeah, Harry Potter that little shit Dudley Dursley yeah. and he's incredible yeah. in this sorry he's also the bad guy in the old guard as well yes he is yeah yeah but he's his performance of those speeches in that section is mesmerizing and on the pedestal these words appear my name is Ozymandias king of kings look on my works ye mighty and despair absolutely incredible uh, and Liam Neeson with little to no dialogue throughout that piece is fantastic as well uh, it's quite a bleak story but it's uh, it's great and you've already referred to it Old Gold Canyon Tom Waite as the prospector that's a, a great piece there's there's something about that piece that I just really engage with you probably mean I, I want to play the part <laughs> but it's a it's a great movie that from start to finish all the little vignettes are just beautifully done they're they're singular and they work every single one of them and it's yeah it's a great watch i really enjoyed watching it again how about you i think what's great about all gold canyon uh, with tom waits is the cinematography is incredible the the little valley yeah. where he's trying to mm. sieve for gold is just gorgeous to look at some of the more successful parts of this sort of anthology of films work when they're not relying on CGI too much. The first opening, uh, the Buster, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, there's quite a lot of really aggressive CGI at play here. And I think when they're using a sort of more naturalistic approach to the, to the cinematography, like with the girl who got rattled and the one I just mentioned with Tom Waits, that's when it was really working for me. Those sort of um, middle three films, The Meal Ticket, which you've already alluded to, those three films were like the highlights for me. It's interesting, like, I don't know, do you, when you review something like this, a sort of a collection of, of of short stories do you review them individually or do you merit them individually or do you just sort of like as a whole it, it, it kind of works but some things are stronger than others and that's just what you get with these kind of films i think for me it's looking at it as a whole yeah. um each in individually each vignette in this series is spectacular for me but i think as a whole i think i, I disagree with you paul i think the final stagecoach scene um was, was incredible i thought that was a great way to end the film poker is a gambling game you have pursued a life of vice and dissipation, and you are no doubt expert in such pursuits, but no conclusions drawn from such an existence will apply to a life rightly lived. Life is life. Cards will teach you what you need to do. Oh, don't get me wrong, I didn't think it was bad. I think for me, it was just the, the weakest of, of, of vignettes. I, I think the Coen brothers nailed it in the way that they delivered these. I think the order in which they laid these stories out to us, for me, was perfect. So as, as a whole, this is how I watched it. But in all fairness, you could probably watch them individually or as a group of two or as a set of three, and it would still have the same impact. Yeah, the, the framing device tying the stories together is, is fantastic. The sort of old book showing a still, uh, illustrated still from the film you're about to watch was a really nice touch. Apparently they've been writing this for 25 years wow. before they, they put it on screen, and it was the first film they shot digitally. So there you go. Just some facts. Just some fun facts. Fun facts about oh, the film. Incredible. Right. <laughs> we love fun facts. I, I'm a big fan of Coen Brothers, uh, and this didn't disappoint. As I, as I was watching it, I was thinking that perhaps this isn't my favourite mm. Coen Brothers movie. But as it progressed, I got more and more engaged with it. And what really sold it to me, the same as Breen, is at the end of it, I did some research, looked at some critic reviews, looked at some fan theory, and it made me love it even more because there are 
the stories do tie together very very loosely in in certain ways and it made me love it even more so much that i gave it a second watch almost immediately and loved it the second time around ben you're right the cinematography is is fantastic mm. some of the scenery is just spectacular to look at but the mortal remains was just just brilliant for me as the stagecoach is unrelentlessly racing on you just get glimpses out the window you don't see a full shot of the scenery but you just see the light changing and the scenery changing and the trees dying um, as they hurtle towards their final destination. I don't want to say too much without spoiling it, but it was just a perfect way to end the movie. It's called The Mortal Remains. I think it, that kind of gives it away. <laughs> well, maybe. I guess so. Um, the, the the meal ticket section with Liam Neeson was, was brilliant with Harry Melling. I thought as it was incredible for reasons that I guess we shouldn't say, but he can only really use his facial expressions mm. to display his emotions. And he did it so beautifully. That that's, mm. it, that scene absolutely blew yes, me away. Right. I cannot recommend this film enough. I thought it was just lovely. I'm simply saying that opinions are find a way. Okay, so there we always have some review-related questions. So as Buster Scruggs is essentially a compilation of shorts, I would love to know either your favourite short film or your favourite short film compilation or collection. Ben, take us away. So I pose this question to the group because Steve McQueen's new film is essentially a collection of well not short films long films actually small acts which is a series that's coming to bbc soon so that was sort of partly inspired why i asked these guys a very hard question because trying to find um, a collection of short films or, or my favorite collection of short films there aren't that many i thought there were a lot more than there actually are so um i when we were doing our last podcast one of the things i said to the group uh, very early on, one of the things I watched was Wild Tales, which is a Spanish collection of six darkly black comic films. I mean, thematically, they're not really tied together. Some are more funnier than others. But I, have you guys seen this film, Wild Tales? Uh, I have not. No. It's really good. If you get the chance to catch up with it, I think it was put out on Curzon. It is directed by Damien Sisfron, and they're all sort of set around violence and vengeance, I guess. That kind of thematically ties them together. The opening sort of short film is fantastic. And essentially it opens on this plane and it turns out that all the characters on the plane know one person and that person turns out to be in the cockpit and he has essentially brought them all together oh. to just get rid of them all in one foul sweep. And that kind of really sets the tone for the for the rest of the, of the short films. Yeah, it's a great little collection. If you get a chance to catch up with it, um, do. It's really good. Nice. Nice. Well, like I said, I, don't, I didn't really have an answer for this because short films isn't isn't really a speciality of mine. So I'm going to go fairly obvious, but kind of slide out of this a little bit with Pixar. Pixar shorts work for this, right? Yeah. 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 Awesome. Um, so yeah, so on, on Disney+, Plus, Pixar have created collections, so collection one, two, three, etc. And I've pulled together all of the, the pre-feature Pixar shorts. So yeah, one of my favourites, uh, and it appeared before 2001's Monsters, Inc., is For the Birds. Uh, and it's possibly, I think it's the only Pixar short that has stuck with me for the longest time. Well, with all yeah. the little birds chuntering away on the phone yeah. line and the big clumsy bird lands in the middle of them. Uh, it's just... It's just it's just brilliant. It's the first time I remember laughing out loud, like genuinely out loud at a Pixar short or a film. There's also some other ones like The Blue Umbrella, I think is incredible. Bow, if you've seen Bow, where the little dumpling comes to life is is exceptional. So weird. It's very weird, but I, I really liked it. But for me, yeah, the, the, little, the little Pixar shorts collections that are now available on Disney Plus, I think are brilliant. And if you watch the one with For the Birds, it just sets the scene. Uh, and it just, just makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. It's very nice. There's my answer. 
Short, sweet, because I don't really know much about short film. <laughs> <laughs> so this, I found this, uh, looked at it in a slightly different way. It said a collection of short films. I immediately thought anthology mm. uh, and went to that theme. So unsurprisingly, I've got a short list. <laughs> oh, of course you have. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> it's only three, but I think, I think you can class Sin City. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because it's it's mm-hmm. a selection of stories. Yes, they're ultimately they're slightly intertwined, mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, it's an incredible film, and I think that you could class those as as short stories told within the framework of a feature film. Yeah, he's such a smart ass. <laughs> <laughs> And I can play Tom Waits. And the, the next one is uh, The History of the World, Part 1. Moses, this is the Lord thy God commanding you to obey my law. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, I hear you. A deaf man could hear you. What? Nothing, I garnished. So it's a Mel Brooks film that he made after Blazing Saddles, which is, I thoroughly recommend, it's laugh out loud funny, and it takes you... Th- through the the joke is that he was only ever going to make part one. He was never going to make part two of the film. And it takes you through various stages of history and in their completely separate stories. A couple sort of intertwine at the end, as Mel Brooks likes to do. But it's uh, it's a really good, very, very funny film. But the film that I've plumped for is a film from 1982 called Creepshow. Mm. Now, there's a yeah, new great. series on the Shudder Network, Greg Nicotero. There's two seasons of it on on there now. He's sort of brought it back again. But this was, the original film was a, an anthology piece with five stories directed by George A. Romero mm. of Night of the Living Dead fame. And the stories were taken from Stephen King, one of the stories he wrote specifically for the film. And there are five individual tales, basically like a comic book narrative. There's a prologue and an epilogue tied together by this one particular character. And then they're individual stories. And it's, and it's shot very much framing-wise and colour palette-wise like a comic book. Jolting tales of horror. Creep show. It's really good fun. Even if you're not a horror fan, you can watch this. It's got loads of famous people in it playing parts in this. Stephen King plays one of the characters in one of, one of the stories. It's a solo piece with just him. Yeah, so Creep Show is my choice. So I thoroughly recommend if you can find it somewhere. Mr. Mercer, you could watch it as well. Even though you're not a horror fan, you could watch it. Yeah, it's a, it's a great choice. I believe, I think my sister had this on VHS. And I remember being quite young and watching it and being a little bit creeped out. One of the stories, you'll have to remind me on this, Paul, is like, like a puddle of sludge that essentially gets them. Yes. I can't remember what the name of the story is. And I remember they, they, they're, they're kind of camping at a lake and the girl's on a raft kind of just floating out into the middle of this lake and it comes to get her. It's very I freaky. Think, yeah, I think that might be Creepshow 2. Ah, uh, okay, gotcha. But it's just, I mean, great. Still a great watch. Um, and also, going back to You Can Play Tom Waits, can I just say I prefer it if you play Terry Waite, just for the record. <laughs> So you want me to basically become a hostage? Yeah, essentially, yeah. <laughs> Having said that this is quite a hard subject, there are a couple of other ones that I could have touched upon finding my answer. So you've got a 2007's I'm Not There, which is the anthology of Bob Dylan, sort of short films, particularly the one with Kate Blanchett, where she plays Dylan in the 60s. That's a really great film. Coffee and Cigarettes from 2003, obviously got Tom Waits in that as well. That's the black and white collection of films from Jim Jaramouche. And then I was also thinking like Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. That's essentially a collection of short films. I mean, not as good as now for something completely different. But then again, that was basically just their sort of sketches uh, redone for an American audience. So The Meaning of Life is more a a film in the truest sense. The waiter scene. Come on, so it's only way far thin. 
<laughs> it's just I, I always think about the Catholic family singing Every Sperm is Sacred. <laughs> yeah, hey, it's such a good opener. It's a great time. song. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, great. So moving on then. So inspired by Buster Scruggs, who is the best Coen Brothers character to appear in one of their films? Now, this this is a very, very deep well to dive into. Um, so I'm not sure who wants to take this one away. This is a very hard question. There are so many great, great characters. And there's there's the obvious ones. I'm going to move away slightly from the obvious ones. One of my favourite Coen Brothers films uh, is Miller's Crossing. Oh, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I absolutely love from 19... I can't believe it's 1990 that film came out. Jeez, God, I'm old. <laughs> Gabriel Byrne, in effect, is, is the lead. He's, he's the main character in, in the movie. But the character I'm going for is played by Albert Finney. plays a character called Leo. So, uh, he's a mob boss. And uh, Gabriel Byrne, at the start of the film, Gabriel Byrne works for him. And he's, he's slightly sort of on, his, on a downward trend is his strength and his power is diminishing there's a, a rival mob boss that, that is up and coming and beginning to take more territory and he appears to be slightly ineffectual things seem to be starting to drift away from him and he seems to be losing the plot you're exactly as big as i let you be and no bigger and don't forget it ever it's a brilliant albert finney as you would expect it's a wonderful performance from start to finish it's set in prohibition era america and there's something about even though he's not the main character, he's he's the one that I really remember of the film. John Turturro's in it as well. It's obviously a staple of the Coen Brothers film. Yeah, the character he plays is amazing, and there's a, a particular scene with him being taken into a woods. It's supposedly to be assassinated, pleading for his life. It's an incredible performance. But Albert Finney stands out for me. And there's one scene in the movie where the rival gangs send guys to his house to try and kill him, and he in this scene, which plays to the uh, to someone singing the song Danny Boy, he shows why he was so feared and came up and became this bomb boss in the first place. Because even in his pyjamas and a silk dressing gown and slippers, he takes them all down with a Tommy gun and a handgun. Brilliant. The scene's fantastically played. It's really well choreographed and well put together, but you just see the strength of this, this character when he's got his back against the mm. wall and his vicious, ruthless side comes out and you just see that there's just that contrast of what has appeared to be someone that's slightly weakening uh, throughout the film. So Leo from Miller's Crossing is my choice. Great choice. Very nice. I uh, I really don't want to do a poll on this, but I have got a list. Because <laughs> this, I think you're right. They've got such a wealth of richly drawn characters over their catalogue of films. These guys have been just a powerhouse of, of filmmaking for for decades, enticing new generations of, of fans, especially with things like I mean, Buster Scruggs is what 2018, and Miller's Crossing was 1990. So, there is there is there a, a sort of a, a directing duo that are churning out as great films as this constantly. Even when they miss with Intolerable Cruelty or their remake of The Lady Killers, they still have some absolutely genuinely brilliant character moments with some of the the best performers kind of working in the industry. So, I couldn't possibly narrow it down to one so i have got a list unbelievable how <laughs> dare you nobody else could do that um, and surprisingly uh, from like the big lebowski uh, the dude is not on this list uh, i don't get no. people's love for that film 
the sort of the slacker stonerism culture that sort of attached itself limpet style to that character really sort of frustrates me and i don't quite get people's love for it so i'm going to start with francis mcdorm in fargo 96 the tv series obviously is amazing but the original film is is one of their best marge gunderson that character who deals with as much death and violence and destruction as she does she's pregnant she comes back and she just ends the night with her husband and it's it's the sort of the offsetting of, of seeing people literally being put through a blender but then to go to that sort of home life that she has is incredible the scene where william h macy runs away and she's there in the office yeah. and she can't pursue him and she's just saying to yeah. no one he's she's fleeing someone 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 get him <laughs> yeah it's incredible um, i've mentioned it before on our previous podcast hell caesar 2016 i love that film so much as an ode to to cinema and especially now with with things being as bleak as it is it's such a joy to watch this film i watched it again during lockdown it's so it's so glorious but eldon Ehrenreich as uh, hobie doyle is incredible and again a homage to a sort of character actor that we don't really see anymore the scene with, between him and ralph fines uh, would that it were so simple 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 my dear boy why do you say that why do you say twer it has me in stitches every single time. Uh, but no, my, my number one choice has to be Ulysses Everett McGill, George Clooney, or Brother Where Out Thou 2000. The introduction of this character yeah. as the three oh, convicts fantastic. escape and run across the field. They eventually find their way onto the train. He stands up, he starts to introduce himself in a really long, sort of whirling wind of, of, of just rather than just saying hi how are you doing he, he starts to inquire with the people on the train whether or not they're smitties and <laughs> before he can even finish his thought he's then yanked away as uh, John Turturro trips and they're all chained together so he then gets pulled out hey any boys smitties or if not smithies per se were you otherwise trained in the metallurgic arts before straightened circumstances forced you into life aimless wanderers it's a great great introduction to a great character and that film is fantastic uh, so i'm really sorry guys for rambling on for so long but those are my joint <laughs> three choices i think completely i mean I, I could talk coen brothers all day i think they're just a powerhouse of filmmaking and i love how they approach comedy in so many different ways it's great i had marge gunderson as my number one fargo is my favorite coen brothers film she is my favorite coen brothers character you're right for to, to have a pregnant woman as the hero of the story you know was was a fairly bold decision in filmmaking but francis mcdormand can pull off anything and she does it so so well say hello do you hear the one about the guy who couldn't afford personalized plates so he went and changed his name to j3l2404 yeah that's a good one uh, the only other one I've got is, I spoke to Paul about this yesterday, actually. So the Coen brothers obviously tend to work with the same actors, much like most other directors. And there's an actor they've only worked with once, and I'm surprised because he seems to fit the Coen brothers' mould so well. And it's Nicolas Cage as H.I. in Raising Arizona. I love that film. And Raising Arizona is a great film. Nicolas Cage is absolutely incredible in that film. And I don't understand why he hasn't worked with the Coen brothers more because he seems to fit the Coen brothers mold. So yeah, I don't know. I'd love to see him in, in some more Coen brothers stuff because raising Arizona for me and Nicholas Cage was incredible. In it. His chemistry with uh, Holly Hunter in that film is fantastic. They obviously enjoy working together. It just flies off the screen at you. The, the, the fun that they're having. It's probably because Nicholas Cage has now become a parody of himself. Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, Raising Arizona was, what, late 90s, mid-90s? 
So when when he, you know, you would have thought that maybe at some point in the nineties they would have worked together again, unless he was already going batshit crazy a bit too much for the Coens to deal with. So it's like, Joe, you know what? Raising Arizona is your one and done, mate. Then we're moving on. Raising Arizona must have been must have been eighties, wasn't it? Because Raising Arizona came before Miller's Crossing, and that was nineteen ninety. So yeah, so late eighties. I mean, and then what? Not even ten years later, he's making face off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm being Raising Arizona as we think. Nineteen eighty-seven. Yeah, it's eighty-seven. Yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't. That was the second film after Blood mm. Simple. <laughs> Uh, okay so that's great that is all of uh, all of our questions and reviews then so it's down to mercer to tell us what we're going to be reviewing on episode two so the first film i wanted to watch is not out yet but it's out next friday it comes to cinemas on october 9th um it is directed by miranda july and it is Kajillionaire, uh, starring rachel evan wood and my favorite my absolute favorite richard jenkins i love him so much yeah, so that's going to be the first film we're going to watch in the cinemas. And then The Social Dilemma, it's the new documentary on Netflix, came out this year. No! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, Hammond. I'm making you watch a film about your favourite subject, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Which is, a, which is oh. ironic, considering in a moment we're going to be plugging the Facebook page. Yeah, mate, come on. Get our message. <laughs> No, seriously, though, this documentary looks absolutely fascinating. It explores the uh, culture that has now engulfed our society and how it's a very, very bad and slash dangerous thing. I mean, did that need spelling out? I guess it did. I will watch this documentary Uh, and come back. It is 100% 100 going to piss me off. (laughs) It's a, docu- it's a you documentary. You should love it. Mate. It's your favourite genre. I do love documentaries. Listen, I will... will Boobs, g- Dragons, Documentaries. That's your remit, isn't it? <laughs> it's on my CV. <laughs> <laughs> Hobbies include Boobs, Dragons and Documentaries. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, so uh, yeah, looking forward to Kajillion there, and I'd rather shit myself in public than watch a social media thing, but it's all fine. Hey, guys, has anyone seen any lit TikToks lately? Fuck's sake. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to edit that out. No, definitely Stinky not. Bit, mate. I, I do have an I do have an end of pod question for you, and it is Cohen Brothers related. And Ben did mention the lovely stuff. Ben did mention the Lady Killers. So I think Tom Hanks was exceptional in the 2004 remake of Lady Killers. Mm. Uh, but I would like to know who played the same character in the 1955 original version. Oh, I know yeah. this one. Oh, yeah. Oh, same as our last pod series. I've gone easy on episode one. Uh, and I wrote the question as we were preparing for the pod about an hour ago. So still, <laughs> question of the week posed. Uh, I'm also going to put that up on the Facebook page as well. So if anyone wants to interact, get on board, put your answers on the Facebook page following the link, facebook.com forward slash scene this. You can, of course, email your correct answers or your guesses to our email address, which is scene this pod at gmail.com. Scene, obviously spelt S-C-E-N-E. And of course, if you just want to get in touch with us, you want to get involved with the show, feel free to get involved on the Facebook page or email us at seenthispod at gmail.com. We would love to hear your thoughts and comments and get you all involved. So join us on the next episode, episode two, where we will be joined by Brad James from Lyceum Entertainment. He's a writer, a director, a composer, and a marketeer. He's got some stuff up on his Facebook page for a project he's currently working on, and I cannot wait to speak to him about all of those things. So Brad will be joining us on episode two. And thank you so much for pressing play on episode one. We hope you had some fun. That's it from me, and it's down to the guys for your sign-offs. Thank you for listening, everyone. Hopefully you're here with us at the end. In the words of Rick Mayle, be good, and if you can't be good, be careful. Please also support your local cinema by going to watch a film on the big screen. Be bold and, and try something you wouldn't normally watch. You never know. You might be pleasantly surprised. There's lots of content out there at the moment, lots of new films from small studios. 
that are really interesting stories, get out there, go and watch something. You might be pleasantly surprised. Wow. I can't bear that. That's amazing. Uh, Yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing. Come to the cinema, please. There is a lot of great stuff out at the moment, as Paul just said. Lots of stuff is coming back onto the screen that hasn't been there for a while. So yeah, see you on the next episode. Can't wait. Awesome. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to Have You Seen This with Ben Hammond, Paul Breen and Ben Mercer. The intro music is The Godzilla Theme, composed by Ikura Kafubi, re-edited by Ben Mercer, with additional beats supplied by Lander. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe and share where possible, and check us out on Facebook. For the latest happenings, facebook.com forward slash seen this. All views and opinions in the podcast are those of their hosts.